Dark Side. I'm your host, Brianna. And I'm Dyson. And this is Dark Adaptation. Episode 42. It's episode 42. It's what also, you gonna do? It's also the third episode of November. Oh. Yeah, just a fact. Well, how about that? <laughs> I'm gonna start this by saying that our one year anniversary is coming up in two weeks. A little baby pod is gonna be one year old. It's exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. So the first thing I'm going to say is thank you, everyone listening right now, because there's no show without you. Yeah, there and, isn't. But no, there this doesn't really even isn't. exist. You would have just, you know what? We gestated this thing. Oh. Worked around it. We birthed this for you. Okay, that's enough. But without you, it's not. It's not anything. It's just a disappointment. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you're talking about gestation or whatever you were saying. <laughs> Now we lost all of them. Oh. For those of you who are still here, just thanks for being here, helping us get to one year. We do work so hard on this show. We put everything into the research and the production. Pretty much all of our spare time goes into doing this. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to ask all of you of, uh, I'm going to ask all of you <laughs> I'm having a hard time with this because I don't like sounding like I'm like, come on, please help us. Please. I'm begging. But I just want to ask you guys to help us celebrate our one year anniversary. We are asking for your support. You know, the show is a lot of work. We love doing it, but we do want to grow to be bigger Mm -hmm. and better. Mm -hmm. So there's a ton of ways that you can support us. The first is by buying a patch. It's very pretty. It's embroidered. It's iron-on. It's only $14 and it has free shipping. And no tax. And no tax. $14 all in. Free shipping. Flat rate. You can purchase this patch through our Instagram shop or through our website. You can also buy us a coffee. This is a way to support the show and show show us that you love it. It's good for our motivation. It just starts at like $3. Just a little donation to help us. Mm -hmm. You can also do that through our website. And if you can't support monetarily, like, that's cool. There's also free ways to support us and help us grow. The big one is to make sure that you rate the show wherever you're listening. And leaving a review as well is so helpful. And it takes, like, two minutes. Our Instagram account is a good way to support us. Just follow us there at Dark Adaptation Podcast. Share the posts or comment on the posts. You can message us. I love to get messages from people just telling us, like, how they felt about the episode, what they liked about it, mm-hmm. literally anything. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can just, oh, also like the biggest thing I want is like case suggestions and topic suggestions. Yeah. Because I know like some of my friends tell me like what episodes they really liked. I know ghost stories are very popular mm-hmm. and I love doing ghost stories. So of course we'll keep doing that. But for our one year anniversary, we want to be able to like address some of the questions and comments and stuff that you have. So if you can make suggestions, ask us questions if you want to get to know us better, 
That would be fun to answer on the podcast. You could put Dyson in a hot seat or something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, literally anything. Tell us anything. We want to hear from you. And it's just helpful for us so that we know like whatever we're putting into the show is good and working and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I have like a ton of ideas for where I want to take the show. But yeah, we need to hear from you to make sure that like you dig it. Yeah. What you like to hear, what you want to hear. Or even what doesn't work for you, okay? Like, I'm all about constructive criticism. <laughs> Any compliments, feedback, suggestions, whatever. It means so much to us and it helps with the content. And um, just, like, helps out, okay? And, like, do the stuff that I mentioned to support us. And this hurts my ego a lot. I don't like having to be like, come on, guys. <laughs> help us but it's a necessary reminder the easiest thing you can do is at least rate the show Mm -hmm. and um okay dyson do you want to add anything because i'm like sweating and embarrassed thanks for everyone who already did rate the show we've got a few of them out there yes we do yeah especially when we get reviews i always shout them out read it Mm -hmm. message them and be like oh my god thank you yeah so what kind of case you got for us today i got a turn of the century canadian case Ooh. It's more Canadiana. 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 It's turn of the 20th century, I should say. Because mm. I guess technically it could be like 20 years ago. <laughs> it was also the turn of a century. Oh, God. <laughs> 1900s. I guess I'll, with that, I'll just get into it. All right. On June 13th, 1901, Ada Redpath and her son Cliff Redpath were shot to death in their home in Montreal's affluent Square Mile district. Police weren't called. There wasn't an investigation. Only a coroner's inquest with a verdict that's unsatisfying, to say the least. To this day, everyone from armchair sleuths to historians wonder what truly happened in the Redpath Mansion that fateful day. Today, we know this case as the Redpath Mansion murders, But to many, the Redpath Mansion murder mystery is a more accurate title. This is a story about class and generational wealth and prominence. A story about a family in high society surrounded by loyalties and tensions. So let's dive in and figure out this turn of the 20th century whodunit. 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 Whodunit, innit? Whodunit. That music is so nice. It just hits me in my soul. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> I feel like I have to be in a cafe. Oh. A very dimly lit cafe. I was imagining the start of like an L.A. noir crime movie. Oh. Yeah. Like some double indemnity or something? It's a double something. All right, guys. A disclaimer right off the bat that adds an extra layer of mystique to this case. The family refused to discuss the deaths of Ada and Cliff with anyone. They never talked about it, and they tried to keep everything as hush-hush as possible. So the information that we have was written by historians who researched the family history and pieced together the events and surrounding speculations through accounts, archives, newspapers, letters between family members, and Amy's diaries. Amy is the daughter of Ada and sister to Cliff. 
Oh, okay. But we'll get into all of that. All right. So we're going to start with getting to know the Redpath family, just sort of who they were, where they came from, how they lived. How they got that dope-ass last name. <laughs> Does it sound familiar, Redpath? I don't know. I just think it really, really rolls off the tongue. Redpath. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to get to know them because it's important to understand their background, their status in the community, all of that. So the Redpath family was very rich and very affluent in Montreal's high society. John Redpath immigrated to Montreal from Scotland in 1816 and built his success and legacy from nothing. Like literally the voyage over to Canada left him nearly penniless. So he disembarked the ship that he came on at Quebec City and walked barefoot to Montreal. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Even though he only spoke English, he used the trade skills he had learned in Scotland to gain employment in the construction industry, and he worked as a stonemason and eventually established his own company. Mm. He was Protestant and worked on construction projects with Catholic Society and secured the contract to build Montreal's Notre Dame Church. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. So, like, obviously there was architects and stuff that designed it, but his construction company is the one that built it. Mm -hmm. And that church is so beautiful. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. He also constructed the Lachine and Rideau Canals, which was a huge feat. Mm -hmm. um, there was tons of people who had tried to make those canals. And it just always fell through, but him and his crew got it done. And then there was like a ton of other public and commercial buildings that he constructed. And his career expanded into real estate, developing the Montreal Stock Exchange. You name it, he dabbled. He was a businessman. No and kidding. He, and he was a very successful businessman. He made a lot of money. And in 1918, sorry, 1836, <laughs> he purchased 235 acres of land on the slopes of Mont Royal. He built a mansion for his rapidly expanding family on a property he named Terrace Bank. And then he divided and sold the remaining acreage and used the profits to establish Canada's first sugar refinery in 1854. Mm. Redpath Sugar. Oh, never heard of it. What? <laughs> There's literally some in my kitchen right now. Uh. That's if it, that's why if you're like sitting there like Redpath, that sounds so familiar. It's because like, yeah, this guy literally made that first sugar refinery in canada that's really that's cool. still around today it's like amalgamated with another company but yeah it's still around who doesn't love sugar maybe diabetics, diabetics yeah <laughs> <laughs> they still love it they just have to control the insulin that's all yeah like dogs to chocolate <laughs> <laughs> do dogs love chocolate though mm -hmm. oh god they'll eat it i guess dogs will eat anything so this area of Mont Royal, I'm just going to say Mont, Mount Royal from now on, because <laughs> it sounds like I'm saying Montreal really weird. Mont Royal. Mont Royal. Yeah. So Mount Royal, where he had built his mansion and sold off all the acreage that he had originally bought, whatever. It became known as Square Mile and was basically a self-contained community with beautiful homes, gardens, and buildings at the base of the mountain. Parts were elevated and Square Mile was pretty much detached from the realities faced by most Montrealers who lived in the smog and chaos of the Industrial Revolution. Okay. 
These rich families attended the same educational, religious, and social institutions, and the children associated and married within these elite circles. They shopped at the same stores, had the same medical, dental, legal, and accounting services, which were often owned and provided by the rich families that they associated with. They'd grow their businesses by creating business partnerships with each other and sitting on each other's board of directors and, of course, keeping business within the family by encouraging fathers, brothers, uncles, and in-laws to work together. All right. Just nepotism. Nepotism. Just this little, this high society of only rich people. It's like a rich people only club. Yeah. They can just keep growing and sustaining the wealth because they're all rich and they just use each other yeah to like the money just passes around and then if all of you guys are friends anyway and like associates and then you're all sitting on like each other's board of directors and working on the same projects and stuff then you're only going to keep elevating Mm -hmm. and always have someone to like back you and it's just it's kind of like a cult oh my god (laughs) (laughs) oh boy quebec and their cults huh (laughs) (laughs) order the solar temple That was what first came to mind, yep. (laughs) So, as I had mentioned, John had a rapidly growing family, which is the reason he built this big fancy mansion. He had 17 children. Holy fuck. Yeah, he had seven with his first wife, Janet, and she ended up dying of cholera. So, a year later, he, uh, when he was 39, he married his second wife, who was 19. Her name is Jane, and together they had 10 children. Mm. 17 children. Who, of course, you know, the blood ties continue when these children married into other wealthy and influential families in the area. So marriage strategies, as it was called, like these were used to... the worst consulting firm I've ever heard of. (laughs) (laughs) These marriage strategies were used to, like, ensure that square mile families controlled the area's wealth, power, status, just like this restricted access to the elite it's like just bizarre i can't imagine living that way mm-hmm. i would definitely be down there with the people in the factory and the smog <laughs> <laughs> toiling away so hopefully that uh, little history lesson was interesting first of all oh, but yeah. also helped paint a good picture of the area the people and what high life was like at the time we're talking about so that it just kind of sets this scene for the tragedy that happened on june 13th 1901 and why it's so mysterious and unsatisfying. So let's discuss the events of the day and the people who were involved in this case. Let's. Let's start with the people so you know who I'm talking about when I talk about the events. Yes, let's. In 1901, the Redpath household included the comings and goings of many people, but the main people we're focusing on is the matriarch of the household, Ada Redpath. Ada or Ada? Probably Ada. Ada. I don't know. Ada Redpath. Her daughter, Amy. Amy's maid and quote-unquote companion, Rose. And Ada's son, Cliff, and Peter. So all of the children were adults by this point. They're in like their 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. Um, Ada's father-in-law was John Redpath. So the man I talked about who walked barefoot to Montreal and established this entire family and their wealth from nothing. So she was his Mm daughter-in-law. And she herself had come from a wealthy, affluent family when she married John's son, John James. 
JJ. Oh my God. And I thought this was actually very interesting. Her marriage contract stipulated that she would control her own assets as if no marriage had taken place. Oh. And in her will, Ada left her estate to her surviving children and stipulated that in the event her only daughter, Amy, was married, she was to have complete control over her portion as though she never married. Just Smart. Like, just like Ada. So I thought that was very interesting, especially because when Ada would have married John James, it was like the mid 1850s. Mm-hmm. So long ago. Yeah. But she had like, like we've learned, they're just marrying within all these crazy wealthy families. Mm-hmm. So like she was like standalone rich anyway. Yeah. So it's just, it's just kind of cool that it's like, I'll marry you and we will continue this quote unquote marriage strategy. But I'm keeping all my money. Yeah. And no one's going to tell me what to do with it. And my daughter, <laughs> if she ever gets married, she's keeping her money. And no one's telling her what to do with it. Yeah. From all accounts, the family was very close. Sadly, John James died in 1884. So Ada had actually been a widow for years. And she spent nearly her entire widowhood sick with insomnia, anxiety, nervousness, and melancholia. Woof. She would spend the summer and fall in Upper New York State Sanatorium, and when she was home in Montreal, she'd try and live a normal life. She'd entertain guests, go shopping, and visit friends and family, but it was always with her daughter, Amy, because Amy was, like, her constant caregiver. And Amy wrote in her diary that at the beginning of 1898, so three years before the tragedy, Mm -hmm. her mother was not well, and that, quote, life is really a burden to her. Mm. Ada's health continued to deteriorate. She was paralyzed on one side of her body. Her eyes had ulcers. Her joints were in so much pain. She wore braces and she had neuralgia of the jaw. What the fuck? So she was just like... A mess. Yeah. And this, at this point, it's like 25 years of her being sick. But like in the last few years, it's just so bad. At the time, since it was like, you know, turn of the 20th century, it's 1900, Mm -hmm. doctors didn't exactly know what was wrong with her. It was just like, I don't know, she's just like has nervous symptoms. (laughs) But people who study this case now say she likely had some sort of like rheumatoid arthritis or something. Oh, okay. Something really bad like that. Um. And then insomnia, anxiety, whatever. That's pretty straight up. Yep. But she definitely lived a dis- like an uncomfortable life. Yeah, for sounds like it. A lot of it. Sorry, my eye ulcers are acting up. Eye ulcers. Ugh. There's like letters where she would write to like Amy or friends or whatever and be like, sorry, I haven't written in like three weeks. It's because I couldn't see, but my ulcers are starting to like oh. wean down a bit. Oh my God. It's not funny. It's fucked up. It's so fucked up that yeah, you just can't help but laugh. It's insane. So yeah. what is that? Um, insomnia, anxiety, nervousness, melancholia, paralyzed on one side, eyes had ulcers, joints were in so much pain she wore braces, and neuralgia of the jaw. Eight things that she's dealing with. And then, honestly, the insomnia alone is awful. Mm-hmm. So, for example, this past week, I've had a horrible time sleeping. And there was one night that I really didn't even sleep, and I just kind of stayed up for like 24 hours. Mm-hmm. And that's hell. For me. Yeah. Dyson's looking at me like, I do that on a regular basis. I really do. That's because no one reached around the back of your head and powered you down. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) 
So, um, yeah, all those symptoms. And because of in the last couple of years, her health was just so bad. She ended up spending like pretty much every moment in her bedroom being taken care of by Amy and her son Cliff and then Rose, who was the maid. And she was incredibly physically dependent on these three people, but even more like emotionally dependent on Cliff, her son. She was like kind of obsessed with her son. Okay. And like letters and stuff, always writing like, oh, my heart hurts so much. I miss you. And like, I I wish I could see you more. Why aren't you, when are you coming to be with me in New York? And like stuff like that. Like, like, meanwhile, Cliff's just like, Jesus Christ, she's such a clinger. God (laughs) damn. Potentially. <laughs> and he is the youngest of the children. So it's like also the baby of the family. So mm. it was just, we'll, well, we'll speculate more on that. Okay. The Redpath children's lives revolved around the family business, Redpath Sugar, and family health problems. Because not only was Ada in this state, um, their... Her other son, Peter, so Amy and Cliff's brother, also had health problems. And when he was home, Amy, and mostly Amy, also had to take care of him. So Fucking poor Amy. Yeah. And she's, Amy is the oldest, and she's also the only daughter. And she was responsible for running the household and looking after everything. As a woman, number As one. a good Protestant gal, shall. <laughs> yeah. As a woman, and also because she's... The oldest and she also just seems like she takes charge and is like it's fucking fine i'll fucking do it <laughs> so yeah firstborn child only daughter she was 33 years old in 1901 uh she did get married later in 1906 so after the tragedy we'll talk about um to a distinguished physician named dr thomas roddick who we will actually talk about later roddick rod roddick r-o-d-d-i-c-k not rock dick. <laughs> Good for Amy. <laughs> <laughs> Amy. So even though she did marry him in 1906, it seemed that up until that point, she was like super uninterested in marriage. She never expressed any desire for marriage, never really talked about any male suitors or anything like that. In her journals, she never talked about her love life. Mm-hmm. She really only detailed... Actually, she detailed literally everything except her love interests. Mm-hmm. And instead, the journals show her strong devotion to like her brothers. She loved her brothers and her sick mother. And it also had like pages and pages of just going on about how much she loves and appreciates her living roommate, <laughs> which is wholly platonic. Am I accidentally jumping ahead here? Like, not really. (laughs) But to me, I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. Amy and Rose, there was a little bit more going on there than just that was the maid. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Well, yes, you do. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Picked up on it right away. So, yes, Amy would help her brothers. Like, she loved them. She would help her brothers with literally anything, business, affairs, all of that. She helped her brother Cliff study for his law exams and was always there for her mother. She accompanied her mother to medical and dental appointments and basically kept vigil at her bedside when they would call it, like, um, ill flare-ups. 
like <laughs> or flare-ups of ill health or something. Yeah, I have flare-ups. Okay, well, those are <laughs> we don't know what those are. <laughs> and she would. Oh my god, you're in my flow. <laughs> Basically, what I'm trying to say is she loved her brother. She loved her mother. Her entire identity was, like, staked in other people mm-hmm. and helping this family. And she completely took the role on a family pa- matriarch, managing the household and tending to her mother and brother's ailments and needs. She even hired household staff to keep up with it. She paid the bills, organized repairs, renovations, spring cleaning. She did the family shopping. She had a staff of live-in servants, which included a handyman, a gardener, a cleaning lady, a sewing girl, and a nurse. And one of these live-in servants was Rose, Mm -hmm. who was a maid and described as Amy's loyal and constant companion. And also her delicate flower, (laughs) which she would like to pluck every petal. Are you reading her diary? (laughs) <laughs> it was mine, why? <laughs> Rose Rose kept the household running um, when Amy kind of needed like a moment. If she was like, yo, I have to just get out of this house. I want to go see my friends. I want to go out with my brothers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Rose was like, I got you. And she would keep the household going because mm. Amy had a lot on her shoulders. And we know this because Amy recorded literally everything in her diary. <laughs> So, a little bit about Rose. Oh, no. Rose never married and remained in service as a maid and right-hand woman to Amy right up until she died at 73 in the year 1943. And Mm -hmm. Rose died in the Redpath Mansion. Like, she was there. Yeah. With Amy until she literally died. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And a funeral was held. Very sweet. Yeah, she, she was like... Just part of this family. A funeral was held and Rose was buried at the Notre Dame des Neiges Cemetery. And the following year, Amy had Rose disinterred and reburied in the Redpath family plot at at their family cemetery. Okay. And Rose's life was commemorated by a plaque mounted on the Redpath monument, which reads, quote, Mary Rose Shallow, 1870 to 1943 beloved companion of lady roddick now he's now i'm saying raw dick <laughs> roddick <laughs> beloved companion kind of sounds like a dog <laughs> a little bit yeah maybe they were just best friends but i mean they were like together all the time if if amy traveled rose was there there's like photos of them together just the two of them in egypt like they're on a little vacay oh nice so I mean, whatever. Even if it was more than just a companion or friends, like, that's cute. But I would want to be forever memorialized as a beloved companion. I'd be like, what am I, a German shepherd? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next we'll talk about Jocelyn Clifford Redpath. Or Cliff, as he was known to his family. All right. And I'm going to say Cliff. He, Like I had said earlier, he was the youngest child of... Ada, so it's the little baby of the family. He was 24 years old in 1901, and he was really smart, happy, healthy, just an excellent young man. He was described as tall and manly with a pleasing personal appearance and a quiet demeanor. He loved sports like horseback riding and canoeing, which he preferred to do alone, and if he couldn't be alone, then he would only want his very close friends with him. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an introverted intellect. Okay. I just made that up. 
Well, I mean, I didn't. It kind of sounds like he was, but I said it in a way that's pretentious. Mm. Just, I gotcha. I gotcha. He, okay, so he was ambitious <laughs> about his future. He had graduated from McGill University and had been a student in law. Um, I said that weird. <laughs> been a student in law. Yes, he, he was. He was an introverted intellectual <laughs> from Mont Royal and a graduate of McGill University. Wow, why can you talk like that so well? It's quite a task, my darling, but you, I'm quite good at it. You also look so constipated. Talking. I do have to take <laughs> a, quite a large shit. <laughs> Let me tell you, I have to drop the kids off in the pool any minute now. <laughs> drop my kids off at the pool. Okay, <laughs> so he, he had been a student in a law office, not a student of law. <laughs> <laughs> but he had left this law office to go and study for his bar exam, which was coming up in July of 1901, so a month after the tragedy. He had already secured a position in a law office with a, quote, team of leading lawyers. <laughs> Jag. This is Jag. <laughs> he just had to pass the bar and he was in. He was good to go. And he was, and it was only days before his death that he had applied to write the bar exam. So, mm. super ambitious about his future. He was going to be a, part of a team of leading lawyers. He lived in the family home, the Redpath Mansion, his entire life. And he and Amy were close, like I mentioned, and they spent a great deal of time together. They attended a lot of the same social activities, um, which makes sense because, again, this is elite society where mm-hmm. kind of what you do, you're all friends with each other. And in her diary, Amy describes walking or riding on the mountain together several times a week. So they were like best friends. Okay. Letters between him and his brother, Peter, reveal that Cliff, as the only son at home, was responsible for managing the family fortune, especially um, because it's fucking 1900s. And even though Amy was more than capable of doing literally everything, Mm -hmm. it's like, oh, the family affairs of money. No, (laughs) leave that to a man. So Cliff was in charge of that. but Monetary value is... Managed by someone of monetary value. It's a really dickish thing to say, actually. <laughs> Your face is like, didn't even want to say that. So no. I guess thanks for committing. <laughs> You're welcome. That's all I do. So yeah, Amy literally did everything except manage the family fortune, which fell on Cliff's shoulders since he was the only son at home regularly. But he would always write letters to his brother, Peter, just asking for advice because Peter was the oldest son. Um, He was born like a year after Amy. So Mm. Cliff was described as devoted and attentive to his mother. For example, he traveled with her when he went to, when she went to Upper New York State in the summer. He kept her company, like literally doing anything. Like he'd read her, he'd read books to her, he'd just talk with her, especially during these like flare ups of ill health. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just oversaw her care whenever he could. If Amy was absent, if you know Rose was doing other stuff, whatever, he was mm-hmm. there all the time. And this is all in between him going to school for law. Like, Mm -hmm. he's busy already. And you're fucking rich in this little... 
I don't even know, society, elite society, where you have like all these other social duties and stuff. Yeah. Um, his friends even said, quote, Mr. Redpath's constant and tender solicitude for his mother all through her illness are evidence of the young man's real attitude toward her. Oh Basically, he really loved his mom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so boring. <laughs> Imagine oh everyone, everyone talk like that. This is so, so boring. Delete. <laughs> <laughs> so the other brother I've mentioned is Peter, the oldest son, but second oldest child, because Amy is the oldest. Um, when his father died, John James's father, John James is the father, mm-hmm. Amy Cliff. Peter, their dad. He died in 1884, which left Ada the widow for so long. Yeah. So since he is the oldest son, he was expected to oversee like the family, basically do everything that Cliff and Amy were currently doing. But he also was sick. He was the other son that was sick all the time. Mm-hmm. And he remained sick and spent long periods away from home pursuing medical treatment in Europe for sciatica. And taking the rest cure for consumption. (laughs) Yeah? What's that? It's tuberculosis. Oh. But... (laughs) Are you making fun of me? Because I used to think it meant you ate too much. (laughs) (laughs) No. I just... When I was a kid, if I heard consumption, I was like, oh, like you just ate so much that you're ill. (laughs) <laughs> like at thanksgiving or something too many pop tarts and you're you just, like oh at thanksgiving i didn't i would <laughs> didn't have pop tarts on thanksgiving oh. at thanksgiving when you know or whatever holiday when you eat so much because the food is so good and you've been waiting like months for it mm-hmm. so then you're so full that it hurts i would be like oh i'm dying of consumption <laughs> i thought you were so full <laughs> But that's not what it is. It's tuberculosis, the TB. Sure is. And it's like in 1900, so everyone was like, just get some, take the rest cure. Go get fresh air in the <laughs> mountains, which is what he would do. He would go to saint agathe de mont in the Laurentian Mountains of Quebec. He would go to Upper State, New York, just like his mom. Mm-hmm. And he would go to places in Colorado and California, so any mountainous region. So yeah, he as the oldest son, he probably should have had a lot more responsibility, but he was just so sick, taking care of his own health. And following the tragedy that happened in 1901, Peter's health rapidly deteriorated, prompting Amy to travel with him to San Miguel de Mont and later to Redlands, California, to mountainous areas again to try and whatever the fuck rescue was supposed to do. Just fresh air was supposed to make your lungs better. Yeah, I think so. And like, oh, you're in the mountains, so it's like obviously elevated air is better. Yeah. Which makes no sense to me, but whatever, it's 1900. <laughs> um, but he actually ended up dying in California of the consumption. Oh, no. Um, in 1902, May 18th, 1902. So less than a year after Ada and Cliff died. And Amy accompanied her brother's body back to Montreal by train. He was buried in the family plot and he died without marrying and with no children. So his share of the Redpath estate was reverted to his surviving siblings. Mm. 
he just he couldn't marry and have kids because he literally was just so focused on his health. Yeah. Wasn't able to go down to the mount from the mountain to the nightclubs, you know. Nineteen hundred nightclubs. Yeah, they're raving to Chopin and what right. else was around? I don't know, but <laughs> just imagine someone raving to that. <laughs> so in quick succession, Amy dealt with the loss of her mother, Cliff, and then le- yet less than a year later, Peter. And their dad had already died years before, so mm-hmm. Amy just was taken like right, left, right, left. <laughs> <laughs> so now that's not why is that funny? It's not funny. <laughs> I'm laughing at the most inopportune moments this episode. <laughs> so now Yeah. We have a full picture of the family, the characters that are pertinent to the events mm-hmm. of June thirteenth, nineteen oh one. And we could really get into that event of June 13th, 1901, and try to figure out this mystery. All right. What the fuck happened? Who done it? Who done it? Who done it? I don't know. So in the intro, all I really said was that Ada and Cliff were shot to death in the Redpath Mansion. The police weren't called, so no investigation was conducted. All that was done was a coroner's inquest. And then no one ever talked about it again. Mm-hmm. So what we're going to do is dig into it a little deeper. We're going to fucking talk about it again. So we'll, we're going to dig into it deeper, see what's going on here. So Cliff had been in downtown Montreal from around noon to 5 p.m. on June 13th. And he returned home to the mansion located on the corner of Sherbrooke Street West and Redpath Street. (laughs) I just wanted to help them flex that there was a street named after them. (laughs) (laughs) It worked. The mansion is not there anymore. Um, It was demolished in like 2014 or something. Oh. It was just kind of shit. No one kept it up. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's not part of this. So, close to 6 p.m., Peter, the brother, hears gunshots being fired, and he realizes that they came from his mother's bedroom. So he runs towards the sound and finds his mother and Cliff lying on the floor, surrounded by blood, and he sees two revolvers. Rose and other servants rushed to help, but Ada was gone. She died almost instantly from a shot to the back of the head. Mm -hmm. She was also shot in the right shoulder. Cliff had been shot in the, like, forehead temple area, just kind of above his left eye. But he was still alive. He was just unconscious. So he was apparently rushed to the Royal Victoria Hospital, which is about 10 minutes away. But he never regained consciousness, and he died at the hospital around 11.30 p.m. So he took all of the answers as to what happened that evening in Ada's bedroom with him. Oh, no. The family didn't inform the police. The police did later learn about it, but it was kind of by accident, just through, like, people gossiping and Mm -hmm. eventual news reports and stuff. But the family didn't tell the police. And they refused to give out information about the shooting and ultimate deaths of Ada and Cliff. 
and Ada left her estate, which was made up of stocks, bonds, and real estate, to her four remaining children. Obviously, it would have been five, but Cliff died in the hospital. And the estate was valued at $180,000 in 1901. Oh, no. <laughs> um, hmm. $180,000 now would be... $580 million. Jesus, no. Damn it. Five million. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so tad off. It's just, just a bit. <laughs> so since the police weren't called, there wasn't an investigation. So really only speculation was had. So the news of the tragedy was widely published with front page coverage in all different newspapers, including the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And this case attracted such wide publicity because it's the Red Paths. They're so well known and they're like one of the richest families in Canada. So people are like, what the fuck happened in that house? Yeah. Immediately, acquaintances of the Red Path family began like you know gossiping amongst themselves about what happened since the family was so tight-lipped which led to some talking and speculating with the press so newspapers reported that cliff had been in poor health which was exacerbated from studying for the bar exam sources told newspapers that cliff was so overworked he had developed quote-unquote nervous symptoms and that earlier in the day he was depressed but as the day wore on, it got worse. He grabbed a gun, he shot his mother, and then himself. Okay. So, far, like, it seems like such a far cry from the cliff that was painted mm -hmm. of this, like, um, what did I say? Intellectual introvert. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. just this, like, man who loved his mom, was so family-oriented, just studying law, like, socializing whatever mm -hmm. but the theory that you know he just kind of snapped and killed himself and his mother was semi like backed up by the red paths family physician dr thomas roddick <laughs> who if you'll remember is also amy's future husband yep so they didn't get married until like over five years after cliff and ada died but still interesting yeah that's the family physician yep would have been amy's doctor literally her entire life okay so like it's very strange yeah a little strange now <laughs> yeah now that you mention it so he dr roddick confirmed that cliff had been a bit depressed and stressed out lately which was heightened by studying for the bar exam and on top of that he was epileptic and he was suffering from insomnia and busy caring for his mother it's very important to note that I don't think in that in 1900, ep, like epilepsy that we know it as with the seizure seizures and being associated with just being an epileptic, like that's its own thing. Mm -hmm. it, it's the same with saying like, oh, you know, she has nervous symptoms, which could be literally anything like okay. neural, like a mental health thing of like anxiety, depression, mm -hmm. mood swings, literally anything per fucking period that yeah. it's like, oh, she has nervous symptoms. Yeah. Or he, but it's usually attributed to a woman. So the epileptic, the way that he's saying it, it's not really known if he means that 
it's just seizures or if he's saying like he because of all these nervous symptoms he became epileptic so like he would have stress seizures okay but it's so hard to say because he it's never ever been talked about in the past that cliff was cliff cliff was epileptic in any way it's like this weird thing that all of a sudden came up in this statement as to why he would kill his mom mm-hmm. so just something to note he added that cliff was an awesome and caring man and while the circumstances that i just mentioned that might have made him snap it was out of character and very difficult to come to terms with because cliff loved his mom he was such a nice patient man yeah a lot of people in the red path's life felt the same way like this is fucked up like i just can't see cliff doing that and everyone loved cliff like in letters to the families and in everyone's diaries and in different ways of like tributes of poems and eulogies and stuff everyone loved cliff and was like oh my god what the hell like this boy won my heart he was so sweet and smart and nice it, it people were just like i don't understand how this could happen this way mm-hmm. and friends of the red paths agree that if cliff really did this if he really just kind of snapped and shot his mom then he was not in his right mind while others believe that his frame of mind didn't have anything to do with it that it was actually an accident suggesting that he either tried to wrestle the gun away from his mother who was losing her mind and accidentally shot her mm-hmm. or it was if he did have epilepsy then it was a le- an epileptic fit so he kind of seized out while he was holding a gun and shot her <laughs> but then it's like why did he have a gun yeah why were there two guns <laughs> so this was all of the the statements from Mr. Roddick being like, oh, you know, he was epileptic and I think he just snapped. And then mixed in with all the kind of like gossip of people chatting to the papers and amongst themselves because the family, like mainly Amy and Peter, because mm-hmm. um, they were always in the house and lived at the house permanently at this point, they weren't talking. So it just kind of had to be a little bit of a gossip town for a minute. <laughs> so even though the police weren't called like i said they found out eventually just because of this gossip um a formal investigation obviously was not conducted because the police were involved so a coroner's inquest was needed to determine the cause of death for real just to have something actually written down on paper yeah issue a death legitimize it a little bit Mm -hmm. so this coroner's inquest was held the next day so june 14th And it was held at the Red Path Mansion and 13, quote, prominent Montrealers comprised the jury. You have to have a jury for the inquest. Mm -hmm. It's just funny to me because, quote, unquote, prominent Montrealers. (laughs) That's probably people from Square Mile. So it's people who are all associated with this family anyway. Yeah. So already it's just so like. If all these families were, like, socializing together, marrying into each other's families and stuff like that, they're obviously going – it's already tainted. Immediately, this jury is already, like, 
Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of the day, we're kind of invested in the Red Path family for reasons X, Y, and Z. So we're going to have to handle this one with like care, meaning what kind of image, like what will fuck up our image the least. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the jury heard testimonies from Peter, the brother, mm-hmm. and then a few doctors, Dr. Roddick, Dr. Patton, Dr. Campbell, because they were all involved in... um. Mostly Cliff, because he didn't die right away. He went Mm -hmm. to the hospital. And then they also heard from Rose, the maid, or Amy's companion. And then a man named Charles Fleet, who was Amy and Cliff's uncle. And he lived, like, next door or something. So he was always at the house. Okay. The coroner was a man named Ed McMahon, and he led the inquest. So the first thing that the juries had to do was view the bodies of Cliff and Ada, you know, let's examine them a bit, check out their wounds. I'm not sure what they examine. <laughs> check out these wounds. So, pro- uh, probably. They, they probably, they probably got to examine the body and, you know, Ed McMahon, the coroner, will probably walk them through it. Like, this is the contusion, whatever, something. <laughs> That's, that was actually a quote, folks. <laughs> yeah, Ed was a little dicker. He didn't want to be there. <laughs> So the second thing was questioning the, you know, witnesses for their testimony. So the first witness was Peter, the eldest brother. He said that Cliff came home and this was, you know, somewhere between like probably around five, five between 530 and 545 maybe. Okay. Um, Cliff came home from his little like ventures downtown And Peter said that when Cliff came in to the house, he seemed like ill and tired. And he didn't really question this because he had been working really hard to prepare for his bar exam. And, you know, he was also caring for his mom and stuff. So Peter was like, whatever, he's probably just exhausted. Mm -hmm. Cliff went up to Ada's room, um, just right up in there. And Peter claims that it was only a few seconds later that he heard gunshots. He heard one and then followed by two. So there was three total. Which does make sense because Cliff had one in the head and Ada had one on her shoulder and the mm-hmm. back of the head. So Peter hears this and he runs to the bedroom and he had to break down the door because whatever, I guess Cliff locked it or something or maybe Ada locked it. But he had to break the door down to get in there. When he got in there, he said he saw Ada, his mother, lying on the floor Several feet away from her was Cliff, who was also lying on the floor. They were both in pools of blood, and there was a revolver about a foot away from him near his hand. And he said that he finished off his testimony by saying that Cliff had been very nervous for some time. Okay. And then we get uh, Mr. Roddick up here, and he's uh, called on to testify, and he says that he was called because he's the family physician and he was supposed to confirm the deaths based on the position of the bodies. He believed that cliff killed Ada and then shot himself afterwards. He said that cliff was epileptic and not responsible for his actions before, during or after the shootings. He said cliff had an epileptic attack a few days before the death of both of them before their deaths. Mm -hmm. And the doctor advised him to just get some rest. (laughs) <laughs> but this wasn't noted anywhere. Like there wasn't any 
like record that Cliff had gone there mm-hmm. with an epileptic attack. Yeah. <laughs> and it's literally an epileptic attack, not a seizure. He's just had epileptic attacks. <laughs> the next doctor was Dr. Patton. And he said that he received a call at around 5.50 p.m. And shortly after that, he arrived at the Redpath Mansion. And he arrived at the same time as another doctor named Dr. Campbell. And he found the two bodies and the two revolvers in the room. And Cliff's wound was to his left temple and Ada's was to to the back of her head. And then Dr. Campbell says everything that Dr. Patton said, but then adds that he noticed that there was foam in Cliff's mouth. And he said that that's a sign of an epileptic attack. Okay. Which, fair, but it might have nothing to do with seizures or epilepsy. It could be because he got shot in the head. Yeah. So then obviously you have immediate brain trauma and damage, mm-hmm. and that could cause you to convulse or seize. Yeah. So it could have been something that happened after he was shot in the head. Yeah. So like to me, I'm like, that doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Then they get Rose up there, the maid, sorry, constant companion. (laughs) And she said that she heard the shots and she went towards them straight away. She was like right behind Peter. And she, after Peter broke the door down, she went in as well. And she saw the two bodies a few feet from each other. They were both on the floor. She said that she saw the two revolvers and they were both near Cliff. And she said that she'd never seen the revolvers in Ada's room before. Okay. So... I believe that means that there was revolvers, but they could have been Cliff's or somewhere someone else's. They were in a different part of the house. It's like there was just no reason that there would ever be guns in Ada's room. Right. And then the last person that gave their testimony was the guy I mentioned, Charles Fleet. He was the uncle to Cliff and Amy and Peter. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he was a frequent visitor to the mansion because his... Like he like lived, I think next door or at least like a block away or something. Like he lived right in the area Mm and he's family. So he was always over there. And he said that, um, actually I have no idea why he was at the house. (laughs) Maybe he was just visiting or he was (laughs) called over. I'm not sure, but he said he was there and he, Dr. Campbell, the one doctor that was there to, you know, assess the bodies. He said that. He handed the guns to um, Charles, Dr. Campbell did, mm-hmm. and that Charles took them and locked them up right away. And then knowing that there would be, he was to come and testify at this inquest, he brought the guns and showed them to everyone and testified that he'd never seen either one before. But then again, he didn't live in this house. He had nothing to do with the guns. Right. So it's like, that's nice that you've never seen them before, but your it testimony doesn't, doesn't really matter. matter. And also, why are you here? <laughs> it's just dramatic it's It's just a chance to get out of the house yeah or again it's like that no one in the family is talking and they're saying at this inquest the bare minimum and Mm -hmm. it's peter and charles really so it's like amy isn't testifying at all like i don't even know if she was in the house when this happened or if she was it's certainly never mentioned Mm -hmm. but maybe they just needed a another man from the Redpath family to like testify mm-hmm. so that it would seem more credible because maybe if Amy got up there they'd be like what does a woman know 
So yeah. like maybe they're like, well, I mean, Charles lives like right next door. Let's just have him come up. Yeah, the more and, prestigious the mm-hmm. person testifying, the better the argument. And he was like another very rich, prominent man. Mm. So yeah, this is this is literally the testimony. This probably took like ten minutes for this jury of thirteen prominent Montrealers to listen to, mm-hmm. and the verdict that these prominent Montrealers came up with was quote. Ada died from a gunshot wound apparently inflicted by Cliff while unconscious of what he was doing and temporarily insane owing to an epileptic attack from which he was suffering at the time. End quote. Clear as mud. So, yeah. So Cliff murdered his mother because he was having this epileptic fit. So whether that means it was legitimately a seizure and for some reason he was holding a gun and shot people mm-hmm. or it it's being used synonymously with some sort of nervous symptom like an anxiety or a panic attack is unclear but they're just kind of encapsulating it all under the term epileptic attack so they're saying cliff temporarily lost his mind because of either a seizure or some sort of nervous breakdown mm-hmm. and shot his mother and then I guess was clear-headed after that or and felt so guilty he shot himself or <laughs> it was just part of the plan to take his mother and him out. Yeah, that's what that's where my mind went to. And that's that was that. That was the verdict. That's what it was. And then the next day, June 15th, Ada and Cliff were buried in the Red Path family cemetery. Mm-hmm. And there was a very small funeral. But it was incredibly private. It was only for immediate family members to attend. And it was closed off completely. No one was allowed to come. Just immediate family, essentially, to bury him and get it over with. Right. So there was interesting contradictions (laughs) in the evidence. Yeah. Again, the evidence we have is from newspapers, which have varying accounts and you don't know how li- reliable the sources are is it like know. you don't even know you don't know like is it you nosy nelly know. down the road just gossiping or is it actually a source close to the family you know that's what giving nelly, reliable y'all information? say that you don't say that <laughs> so yeah one of these contradictions was that it was reported and if you'll remember i said apparently Cliff was taken to the Royal Victoria Hospital. So this is one of the contradictions. It's not clear if he was actually transported to the hospital following the shooting because there's no mention of his admittance in the hospital's patient register. Mm -hmm. And again, that could be for a number of reasons. Either it was so chaotic they didn't register him in or... He is from a prominent family and this bizarre shooting happened, so maybe they didn't want a record of it, or it's because he never went to the hospital. Right. Another contradiction is that Dr. Roddick, the family physician, testified that he had arrived at the mansion and examined both bodies. But it's unclear if or when he even did that, because it was determined that he was in Toronto. Toronto. (laughs) He was in Toronto on the day 
this all happened. Yeah. And he didn't get back to Montreal until the next day. So the day of the inquest and likely only came back because he wanted to be a part of this inquest and give this statement about how Cliff had been complaining of nervousness and epilepsy and all these things. Mm -hmm. So if he examined the bodies, he couldn't have done it on the day it happened. He would have had to have shown up before the inquest and looked at them. Yeah. So that's another contradiction. So the third is that friends and family members said that Cliff had purchased two guns in town, whereas there was a statement made by another person in the family. It's, this is literally how it's quoted. Just people in the family. Yeah. Saying that there would never be guns in the house. You had Rose saying she'd never seen guns in Ada's room. Mm -hmm. But that kind of leaves it open to the fact that there could have been guns elsewhere in the house. Mm -hmm. And people are saying, we we saw Cliff purchase two. And then there's other people saying, they've never had guns. They wouldn't have them. So, so those are the <laughs> contradictions. Mm -hmm. Was Dr. Roddick even there to examine the bodies? He kind of seems at this point like he's just there to make the family, like, to kind of help them sweep this away. Like, let's, we don't need this drama or this bad image. Just say Cliff was suffering mm -hmm. from epilepsy or nervousness or whatever. And then the fact that no one even knows if he actually got to the hospital or not. Yeah. Plus, he... Cliff was back in the house the next day for the inquest. So did he go to the hospital, die there, and then get sent back over? Or did he not even leave the house at all? Yeah. And did he actually die when they said he did? Like, yeah. <laughs> just contradictions that make it so much... This is what helps poke holes in it, to be like, well, see, no one even knows what the fuck happened. Mm-hmm. coroner's inquest concluded that cliff killed his mother and then himself and that was that the family didn't want to talk about it anymore but i mean we're still talking about it and it's like a hundred and twenty years later yep right 121 years later yeah 121 <laughs> and that's because people are like no something else was happening here or there's more to this story and People are completely unsatisfied with this. There was Why weren't the police ever called? There wasn't even an investigation. You just have this weird coroner and doctor who was either in, in fucking Toronto or not even around yeah. giving statements like, oh, like, I don't know, Cliff was epileptic and uh, there's no record of that, but let's not talk about it. <laughs> it's very straight. It just, <laughs> it's just the not calling the police at all is just the weirdest fucking thing to me. And then never, ever talking about it. And even the coroner's inquest, like, I think it was McGill University, like, years later that went through archives and, and found the inquest records, like, the transcript of it. Mm -hmm. But up until then, even that was, like, super hushed. No one wanted, like, the family really didn't want 
it to be anybody's business. And I think in the news, yeah, in the newspapers at the time of this, it was just straight up said, just the verdict, like Cliff shot his mother and then himself and in a moment of like some essentially like a, a lapse in sanity. Yeah. <clears throat> due to epilepsy or epileptic attack or whatever. So this is the part where we can ourselves sort of speculate and talk about the potential like suspects as to who actually committed this murder or even if it was Cliff and Ada, Cliff or Ada or just Cliff or just Ada. Why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why? So do you want me to ramble on with these notes I've taken just based on Stuff I jotted down while I was researching, like this person had a motive, blah, blah, blah. Or do you want to start with how you're feeling and thinking? The uncle did it. The uncle did it. Kidding. <laughs> I think he just wanted to be there. <laughs> oh, Charles. Yeah. The one who's like, the, I took I've the I've never guns, seen these guns in my life. But it's like, here they Sir. are. He's a, <laughs> he, like, le- he took them and left, which is suspicious. It is, actually. That's what I mean. It's like they just wanted another, like prominent man in there for like credibility to be like i was on the property because i'm a neighbor and i am family and i took the guns and locked them away i did the responsible thing and i've never seen them before <laughs> why <laughs> yeah i 100 think like i don't think he did it at all no i think they just handed the gun to him and was like hide this because we're not calling the cops yeah and they're like if it finds out someone finds out like we can still determine what we want to say for the excuse and then realizing, like, oh, okay, well, our mother is dead. She's literally has a, a will that needs to be executed. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they want their inheritance. And you can't do that without a death certificate. And there's this strange death. So they have to have this coroner's inquest. Yep. And then you're kind of forced to produce the guns because it's like, well, the doctors, the one doctor who was there on scene says that he handed you these guns so like where are they yeah so then he's gonna have to bring them <laughs> but <laughs> never seen these in my life <laughs> so <coughs> didn't you leave the property with them well i don't know if he left the property with them actually because he just said he locked them away mm-hmm. so it's like i don't know if you put them back somewhere in the house in the red path house where they would have come from or where he thought they were because again there's those contradictions of like there was either never a gun in the house, or there were guns in the house, but never in Ada's room, or there were specifically guns of Cliff's. Yeah, it's like a complete unknown. Yeah. I mean, I would believe the story that these are Cliff's guns. Mm-hmm. Just people and, who said they saw him buy them. Yeah. Yeah, because like that's a hell of a thing to fucking lie about. It would be really random, especially yeah. if when that information was obtained i don't know when in the timeline that was it would be interesting to know if it was before or after people knew that there was two guns on scene but then again i don't even know when people knew there was two guns on scene Mm -hmm. i think people knew that they were shot but i don't think people realized there was two revolvers at the scene yeah it's specific Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah is there anything else you wanted to like say i know you don't think that the uncle actually did it no i I think cliff did it and i think like i i think cliff did it and i think he snapped or something and i think they just wanted to cover it up because like 
they're everyone's just so fucking tight knit and they're gonna just try and hide all this shit so they tried to hide it i just don't understand why like like Mm -hmm. i i get it in the sense that like i understand that the image of your family is tied to your financial your finances and your status in the world at that time but like at the same time it's like okay but you're gonna go through all of this to try and hide it from the police like yeah and like you're high you're this in square the square mile district high society Mm -hmm. there's gonna be one or two people you're associated with that have an in with the cops it's 1900 like there's probably it's and Montreal. Yeah, it's in Montreal. Nineteen hundred in Montreal. Like Montreal's <laughs> fucked. Yeah, like their cops did not get did not give a shit. So you're the Red Path family. All you'd have to do is slip him a tenner. <laughs> 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 I'm just looking at all of my notes here. So yeah, this part it's like we're pretty much done with the case because like that's it. The the inquest is just. Cliff did it, and um, we really don't know why. We'll blame an epileptic attack, and right. yeah. But as I was like reading through and writing all of my notes and stuff, I just made random notes. So now I'm looking back on them, like, okay, are these coherent? <laughs> <laughs> I had the first. The first thing I wrote here was Cliff. Like, was my number one suspect. Like, they said yeah. he did it. He was on, the only one in the room with Ada, and I'm with you. I just don't understand why, because there isn't this documented history of him being, you know, nervous or epileptic or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was just Dr. Roddick coming out of nowhere, leaving Toronto to come back to Montreal to be like, I was here and this is what happened. Mm-hmm. When it's like, mm-hmm. And then him just being weird anyway and marrying Amy later. Like, that's a whole that's other That's a whole other thing. just ick. But, yeah. So, um... Maybe it is true that he wasn't in the best state of mind and he was already agitated from all of this stress with school, the bar exams, which weren't even for another month, though. But like maybe it was studying. I don't I don't think. Yeah, I don't think he snapped from the bar exam. Like it was just taking care of his mother who was like. No, I I think this was like an underlying thing that the family just kept under wraps because everyone has to have a good image. I see. So like it wasn't just a Yeah, I mean like I'm not even a, saying like I'm not even saying it's epileptic. No, I know what you're saying. Like I'm saying like, you know, he could have had something darker in him mm-hmm. for quite some time and he just finally acted on it and it just so happens that he had a bar exam next month. And maybe that's also like, why it like goes in with Ada being like so obsessed with him. Like it's not just that he's the baby of the family, but it's like she knows he's a little different than the other siblings and And she's trying to take care of it. Yeah. And she wants to like still be close to him and mm. even though she's sick, but just so she can't really do too much about it, but she Yeah. She knows her son is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. A little off the rails, maybe gets a little moody or whatever. Yep. So he was probably the last person that should have went out and bought two guns, but he did. <laughs> There's also like when I was researching this, I'm like, well, did he, like, if he was, had this, like, dark streak or was a little unpredictable or whatever, were people worried that he would, like, spill some sort of, like, family secrets or family drama or something Mm -hmm. and someone else took him out 
But then, like, Ada was, like, collateral damage because she's old and burdening everyone anyway. So it just, like, <laughs> took her out, too. Yeah. And then it's, like, easy to be like, well, Cliff did it. But it's actually because he was, like, mm. going to start revealing some shady shit. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what happened, but I like <laughs> to picture it. <laughs> it's very elaborate. Or maybe, or when we we're speculating towards, speculating <laughs> towards the beginning when you just had, like, nosy Nellies and gossipers saying, like... Maybe it was an accident. So maybe Cliff came home and went straight up to check on his mother because he had been out all day. He had been out since noon. And just he's so close to his mom. He goes up there to check on her. And maybe she has a gun. And or both of them. Maybe he she like found the two guns that he had recently purchased or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he went to get them from her because she is not well. She could have been like having a you know, moment, mental moment. Mm-hmm. And something happened where like the gun accidentally went off. He accidentally shot her or in like the struggle to get the gun away, realized what he did. And because he's so close to her and it's obviously something you can't take back, you just killed your mom. Mm-hmm. Then he killed himself. Yeah. I just, <clears throat> it's hard to have. But the door, Peter had to break the door down. Yeah, and it's also hard to accidentally shoot someone in the shoulder and then the back of the head. Okay, true. The back of the head suggests uh, she was like trying to run away or he, maybe she was sleeping or something and turned turned around and he just like went up behind her. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> I wanted this to be so much more mysterious. <laughs> well, I, I mean, like we don't fucking know. It's still mysterious. Like, why the fuck don't you call the cops? Mm-hmm. And then the source is telling the um, press that he had been depressed all day. So, like, did he go to, like, downtown Montreal with, like, friends or someone and hang out with them all day and say, like, I'm fucking stressed out or depressed or my mom's driving me insane or I have a lot on my plate or I just don't feel well. Mm -hmm. And other sources said that he had been drinking all day and he was a little bit drunk. So did that, like, trigger something? Yeah. Made him snap a bit when he came home. That would make sense, yeah. I just... Oh, and there's, of course, people who go, like, um, Ada found out that her, like, love, pride, and joy Cliff was gay, and so he had to silence her. But it's like, if she found out he was gay and never told anyone, and just he killed her to silence her, how would you know that? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, that's just... Uh. Again, we have no idea, but... I'm just looking through my notes here to see what other <laughs> stuff I wrote. <laughs> um... Amy did it. Well, the notes I wrote for Amy were that... Uh, she it appears that she wasn't even there that day, um, to, or at least during the evening when she when he came home mm-hmm. when Cliff came home. So like, was this by design or was this by coincidence? In a letter that Amy wrote to her sister in law two months after the tragedy, um, she was referring to like this unpleasant business of having to destroy all of the letters. Mm-hmm. So. It, was this Kobe son 
He has to always mess with the plastic bags. <laughs> anyway, ignore my cat in the background. So in talking to her sister-in-law saying that she went through all this unpleasant business of destroying letters. Mm-hmm. There was another time when between Amy and her mother, when she was still alive, she wrote in a letter, quote, I was very glad indeed to hear from you the other day. I tore up your letter as you asked. I was awfully sorry about the news that it contained. And this was years before mm-hmm. um, Ada was even dead. So like this family was already in this sort of groove of destroying letters. So yeah. maybe that could add credence, like lend credence to what you said, that Cliff or the family in general had this dark streak. And since they were so prominent, you'd never want these letters to leak. Yeah. So they were in this constant habit of destroying letters, which yeah. is already shady. Yeah. And like, it could maybe it doesn't have anything to do with Cliff in the darkness. Maybe there was like business dealings that were fucked up or... Maybe that's why the police were never called is because they already had paid off police for other things so they can easily like call in a favor and be like. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it <laughs> like I would not be surprised if there's like definitely some shady dealings going on at this time in Montreal mm-hmm. in that area. And this is like like Mont Royal prominent family. Yeah. With all of the money in this like contained area of elite elitism. Is that a word? Yeah. Is that the right word? <laughs> yeah, I would say so. <laughs> but yeah. <clears throat> There's also uh let me see here. Yeah, mostly what I wrote for Amy was just about the letters, how there was so many accounts of her saying she was destroying letters or she had just destroyed a whole bunch or she'll be sure to destroy the letters. Mm-hmm. And this goes back like 3 4 years before the tragedy even happened mm-hmm. when Cliff and Ada died. So I thought that was weird when I was reading through them. And then I made a note here that there was a speculation that the Redpath family resented Ada for her burdens, um, for like all of her health issues, um, her expectations of Cliff, her need for his attention, just the overall obsession that she had with him. So Maybe they blamed Ada for what Cliff did uh, mm. because of this like ingrained need of him to be helping her and to be there for her. Um, and this also, I think I made this note because there was all of those mentions of letters, poems, eulogies, memoirs, all of these things where people were like, we love Cliff. He's amazing. He's so great. We never saw any of this. But no one really did that for Ada, even outside mm-hmm. the family. Like, it seems like people had their own problems with her. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I think I, I might be leaning towards that now. I, yeah, I have a toss-up now. I can't tell if it's like he had something that, that just was there all the time or or he did snap because it was just so demanding and burden burdensome and like maybe he did snap in the moment like maybe he didn't come home from his little ventures downtown maybe he was fine maybe he was a little bit sick and tired maybe he peter said he looked ill maybe he wasn't ill maybe he was a little bit tipsy Mm -hmm. or drunk he was definitely tired he's so busy but maybe he was like oh okay i've been downtown for five hours i gotta go home and check on my mom 
Maybe he went up there and she was like, where have you been, Cliff? You left me alone for five hours. I've been alone in this bed. You're never here for me or something stupid like that where mm-hmm. he snapped and was like, I'm fucking always here for you. I literally go to New York with you. The only reason that I'm thinking like, no, and like, like, like I think he premeditated it. <coughs> two, two revolvers. Two revolvers for two two shots. Like, so he, there was one shot and then there was two shots in quick succession. So, like, if it's a revolver, you can just shoot and you're good. Mm-hmm. You just take another shot. He took a second one in case it doesn't, in case it jams. That's what I think. Because why else would you, like, if you're heated in the moment, you go downstairs, you're not grabbing both. Mm-hmm. What is she going to do? Juke you out for fucking close range? How many shots? No, but he took two and she was shot in the shoulder and in the head. Mm-hmm. So, like, maybe it was just bad aim. Yeah, but and what he, I mean is, like, he, he brought shot two. Her. Yeah, what I mean is he brought two, though. We don't know both were fired, though. Yeah, I know. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's my that's my thought because like unless he was unless he took after his uncle was like come check out these guns mm-hmm. <laughs> have a close look. I don't think that means it's premeditated though. I I think the reason I think that is because you have to have a real good presence of mind to be like I need both of them. No, you like don't. It, I don't know. I feel like if you're heated, you run down, you grab a gun, and you come back upstairs or whatever. But like. If you yeah, grab both of them. I think it can go both ways, though. Mm. I understand what you're saying, but I also don't think that means it has to be premeditated. Because if you bought the guns together, mm-hmm. that and you're already in this like state of obviously distress, you purchase them together. So maybe you just grab them together, mm. or maybe he had never even fired them before, and he was like, "I'm gonna bring both." Cause I'm just grabbing both of them mm-hmm. or maybe he, he carried in the case that they were in or something and one fell or like, I mean, we don't know, right? but I don't think that because both were in the room, it means it's premeditated. Mm. Cause like if there was only one in the room, you could argue that it wasn't, he just grabbed the gun. Yeah. But like, he's obviously in a state where he just murdered his mother. So like his mind isn't, clear anyway yeah so it's like you just grab the guns Mm -hmm. so i think it can go both ways okay fair so then the the other people we can talk about are the women so like i don't i can't really see amy doing any having anything to do with this no i think if we're we both seem to agree that it was obviously Cliff. There wasn't any sort of like setup to make it look like it wasn't like, mm-hmm. or that it was Cliff, but it actually wasn't. It was just staged that way. Mm-hmm. And the only other suspects for if we were agreed that it wasn't Cliff or something is Rose and Amy. But I can't see women doing this, especially in 1900. The women typically don't use guns to kill people. It's usually like that's way too loud, that's way too messy. And they're also Cliff's guns. Like 
And there are clips that he done. recently bought. Like, yeah. It- but it, yeah, but Amy was like in charge of this fucking house, and that's her best friend. She would have known probably that he bought those guns, which again attributes to her <laughs> heavily being quiet and yep. being like, "Charles took these guns because they were Cliffs, and he's my best friend and my brother, and I did hate my mom for what she's what she's done to him." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, and then again, that that goes with the. With Rose, the maid, like, I doubt that she had anything to do with it. The beloved companion? The beloved companion. There's, like, I'm, like, (laughs) writing notes, and I'm, like, was she more than a companion? Did she want more time with Amy? So she killed Ada out of jealousy and resentment. What are those doodles you've drawn? And she was tired of taking care of Ada, so then when Amy went out, the responsibility was on her, so she snapped, and then Ada (laughs) took out Ada, and then was Cliff just collateral damage? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, just fun stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what else for Amy? Um. Oh, the only other thing I wrote here was that it's interesting that she married Dr. Roddick later, but like, I don't really know what to make of that. And just, <laughs> I just think it's something that happened in the time and it's just weird. It's, it is just, maybe she was like, <clears throat> even though before it was like, she never expressed any interest in men and talked about getting married it's like maybe this kicked that interest up because Roddick stepped right in and was like listen I don't want your family's image to be messed up I am the family physician let me just help Mm -hmm. and say like oops (laughs) Cliff did it because he was temporarily insane anyway let's move on and then maybe Amy was like oh my god you're my hero (laughs) and fell in love with him listen this is speculation central right now (laughs) The only other person then that's a suspect, if it wasn't Cliff, is Peter. He's the oldest brother. He was in the house. Mm-hmm. He's the one who said, like, well, Cliff has been nervous for a long time, and um, he has been nervous, and um, he looked ill and nervous. A little fidgety. And, uh, yeah. But, <laughs> like, why would he murder his mother? He was sick. He couldn't even get married and have kids and live a normal life because he was so sick. Yeah, like if, if th- he just, if he didn't want to, if he hated his mother so much, he would just go somewhere else to New York or something. Yeah, like just leave the house like he had been. Yeah. Or Cliff was gone for five hours, so he could have just killed her mm-hmm. and not had to have killed his brother. It would have been so elaborate and so out of left field. Yeah, but then some people are like, well, Peter was the oldest, and he he should have always had the the responsibility that Cliff did, but because he was always sick and having to take care of himself instead of his family, did he, like, have some sort of frustration or rage and, like, just snap? But yeah, I don't know. Just, then he wouldn't be going to these health retreats, like, <laughs> you know? Exactly. I mean, that pretty much sums up the interesting parts of the notes I made. Mm. But, you know, I think it's fairly obvious that it was Cliff. Yeah. Just, oh my God. I mean, yeah. Just Occam's razor, right? Like the most obvious answer is usually the right one. Yeah. But, and then I lean on things like, well, Peter did have to break the door down. And then I was going to say like, well, did he? Because no one else corroborated that but the maid rose did mm-hmm. but then also she's like fucking she might as well not even be re- referred to as the maid like she's a part of this family yeah so like she would also corroborate that but what motive would anyone else have to do this 
Like, there isn't really one unless it's no. just the money. If only Ada died, I'd be like, okay, obviously it's about the inheritance. No one wanted to take care of her anymore. She was too much of a burden. Um, so they uh, took her out. But then there's Cliff. So then it's like, is that the same reason that he did it? Did he kill his mother because she was a burden? Amy is his best friend. She's overworked taking care of this household, this family. Maybe Cliff didn't even want to be a lawyer or something. Or maybe it was a lie. Maybe he wasn't even a, like, partner, you know? Mm -hmm. or, yeah. or wasn't going to pass the bar or something. And then he would disappoint everyone. So maybe he took Ada out so Amy didn't have to take care of her anymore and took himself out so he wouldn't be a disappointment. <laughs> what a way to not be a disappointment <laughs> well you're a mystery that's for sure but yeah. then you still leave amy with a mess to clean up yep so like this whole my head hurts <laughs> call the doctor call dr dr raw dick paging dr raw dick he comes in stop saying it like that <laughs> <laughs> this is why i can't work at a hospital i would do that <laughs> raw dick nope nope i will not stoop to your level <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> anyway, Jason, do you have any other comments? Because, like, I think that we could just keep going forever on this. And, no, I... Um, yeah. No, I'm I'm just stuck between whether it was underlying and, you know, premeditated type stuff or whether it was, you know, it, whether he was just sick of it. I, I'm really, like, torn on that. So now I'm just... Now I'm just really not sure. And I just... I still think that every, something's still amiss. Oh, for sure. There's a hundred things that are amiss mm -hmm. or, or just like, uh, needs rearranging or something like there's just, it's just cause I'm, I'm so uneasy because all of this is just the word of like people, people who said that this is what happened, but these are the people who didn't call the police. These are the people who didn't call the police. These are also <clears throat> people who are all tightly affiliated with one another. Mm -hmm. One of the richest families in Montreal, uh, Canada. Yeah. Like I can see why people are like, y this is a fucking mystery, and I it it fucking is because mm -hmm. I mean, as much as we can try and piece together, like, okay, well, if assuming A, B, and C of the initial story is correct based on what we can assume is an unreliable source, then I would go with this. But you could go down so many rabbit holes. I know picking which element that you used on your initial assumption is a lie exactly yeah exactly like the newspapers like the newspaper articles are a huge source here this is what helped us piece it together but the newspapers themselves are contradictory and supplied by quote-unquote sources who mm -hmm. might just be nosy nellies who were like oh well i heard that cliff was you know suffering from nervous symptoms and it's like <coughs> oh, i don't know where'd you hear that from yep or like he he bought two guns. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. There was never guns in this house. Yes, there was. They just weren't in Ada's bedroom. No, they weren't. And you're <laughs> like, what? Where's the truth? Yeah. I think that's why this case is so like keeps people wondering because obviously number one, it's the Redpath family. Yeah. It's this beautiful, rich neighborhood in Montreal. It's actually um it is a murder mystery. Maybe it's not so much a whodunit, like from your and I perspective, but there is people out there who think Cliff didn't have anything to do with it. 
it's it's truly a whodunit who staged the scene. Like, mm-hmm. was it Peter in the bedroom with a candlestick? <laughs> but it does have a very Hasbro feel to it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yep. kind of does. So it's just I think one of the reasons it's so intriguing is because a huge a huge reason is wanting to under for wanting to understand this is like motive. And it's like, well, we don't really understand the motive because we don't understand why, if Cliff did it, which we both believe he did, why he did it. Mm-hmm. What what happened? What was like the domino effect here? Because obviously something snapped or clicked in or whatever yeah. that made him come in, storm upstairs, go to his mother's room and a few seconds later, just shoot her and himself. And I, and I can't blame people for saying like, well, like I'm not easily dismissing an outside job mm-hmm. because I mean, like, People, like, one, that, that fucking happens. Things get weird uh, with families and power and stuff. But, like, also, I understand the, like, captivation of it. Like, this sounds very familiar to, like, uh, Honey and Barry Sherman, for example. Mm. And you can go, like, well, there's the same elements as to why we think that's so interesting. Yeah, you know, exactly. There, there are these, like, giants, like, living a world we don't really understand. And it's so prestigious and stuff. And then their death is just a big question mark. Like, how did it happen? Why did it happen? And was it like, was it, you know, because of like, uh, was it because of the money and family wanted money or, or what? Right. Mm -hmm. So like, there's it like the honey and Barry Sherman one, people are still speculating about it and there's not really been a ton of change for years and years and years. I can see it following the same trajectory. Well, clearly, I mean, it's been 120, yeah, 21 years. Yeah. And like you said, you can understand why there's people who maybe fall in that category of thinking it was an outside job. And that is another, uh, the two guns, the two revolvers is something that comes in where it's like, I think people are like, well, only one was used, but you throw in this extra revolver to help stage the scene. And then it looks even more weird. Like, well, what was this? Some sort of like standoff, like between mm-hmm. the two of them? Or even if it was just Cliff that did it, the family still stages it with this extra revolver to add that mystery to be like, well, we don't want it to just be so simple. Let's put this extra revolver in there. And then even though we know Cliff did it, we love him dearly. We don't want him to take all of this fall let's put the extra revolver in there and maybe make it look like him and ada had some sort of standoff but mm-hmm. ultimately the coroner's inquest didn't determine it that way yeah but yeah just don't know you just don't know i think that's uh i don't know i guess that's where we'll leave it okay because like i don't know what else to say we could just keep going let them go down the rabbit hole if they want let to. the listener you right there what do you think? Do you agree with us? Was it Cliff? Do you have your own theory? Oh my God, I love hearing other people's theories. Like, <laughs> no, you know what? You didn't talk about this. This is a great, this goes right back to the beginning of the episode where you need to message us and give us your comments and thoughts and compliments and whatever. <clears throat> I want to, we want to hear from you. What do you think about this? The best place to reach out to us is on Instagram, Dark Adaptation Podcast. And that's where you can message us all of your, your thoughts about this case or even if it's if you don't have anything to say about this case, that's fine. Just give us other case suggestions or comments or whatever, because we are having our one year anniversary mm-hmm. and we want to have like tons of feedback and whatever from you guys to be able to just kind of bring up 
on the show. Mm-hmm. And it can be like questions you have for us, whatever. Literally anything. I want a message about literally anything. You could be like, hey, I have purple shoes. And I'll be like, that's really cool. Can you send me a picture of your purple shoes? <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, if you can support the show by like buying us a coffee or mm-hmm. purchasing one of our beautiful patches, that's obviously hugely appreciated. But then there's like the easy ways to support. Rate the show five stars. Leave a little review. Mm-hmm. You know, just helps us grow. It takes two minutes. And um yeah, Dyson, do you have anything you want to add? No, that's it. Great episode. Thank you. Thank you. Next week, we'll catch you on the dark side for another true crime case. Bye. <laughs>